0: Weekend brought a breeze to Central Florida and a relief from the stifling humidity. Temperatures plummeted to the mid-60s and the natives were thrilled. They took it as a change of seasons and on this Sunday morning, I stood out on the old wood deck in my shorts and flip-flops sipping coffee. The dogs were all fed and they were roaming the backyard as morning broke. A feral cat or two had apparently taken up residence in the woods behind the house, and Donegan, the chocolate lab, felt obligated to announce his presence to them. Meanwhile, Black Dog, the female, wandered blissfully across the yard. Hopefully, uh, this nice weather would carry over into the work week and I could spend more time outdoors. Eating my lunch on the green bench in the commons area had become a favorite practice of solitude. I didn't do it enough to call it a ritual, but when the humidity eased, I tried to get down there at least a few days a week. Jim McGinnis, and this is Stories We Can Tell. You know, over the past few years, I've taken to spending much more of my downtime by just sitting outside and noticing things around me. Ironically, a man who spends his days talking has never felt it necessary to simply fill up the air with chatter. I guess I learned to practice what I preach to my students, and I just sit and listen sometimes. Like my good friend J.B., I've never been afraid of the quiet. I can I can find him at some airy establishment on the beach or down in Palm Bay and we'll catch up on things and then sometimes just sit with elbows on the bar and say nothing. Listen to the music. JB's a bear of a man. He's been hanging drywall and working construction and helping kids in Melbourne for 35 years and he seems to know just about everyone in this town worth knowing. There are times when he reminds me of an old Indian rather than an old Irishman. When he does speak though, he's worth listening to. And I have often hung on his words. There are times when I feel I can learn more with my ass on a stool than with my nose in a book. Thanks, JB. My days outside have grown more precious to me over the past few years, especially after a battle with lymphoma. It started with that cough. It seemed to interrupt every sentence. It became comical, actually. The Civil Rights <laughs> <laughs> Act of 1904 19- <laughs> uh, outlawed <coughs> discrimination. <coughs> oh, my God. I had bouts with bronchitis through the years, so I figured that's what it was, but one morning while shaving, which was a rare occurrence, I detected a small lump on my neck. It ended up being a swollen lymph node, and tests confirmed the doctor's suspicions, Hodgkin's lymphoma. And within a few weeks, I started chemotherapy, and what a long, strange summer it would be. Although the prognosis was optimistic and the treatment was tolerable, I felt a sense of urgency to collect, to gather, to write. What was once a pursuit now became an obsession. All summer, my reflections poured out of me. I began to read voraciously. Being confined to the house for much of the time, I felt driven to pull together something, everything, anything, and get it on paper. I cleaned up a collection of poems and then started work on these essays of mine. I had no feeling of pending doom, and my writing wasn't really driven by some need to leave a mark. Well, maybe it was. It seemed to be steered rather by this paternal instinct I had toward teaching. I felt I needed to do something to protect it. I wanted to stand up and give my perspective. I don't know if I helped at all. Writing itself was liberating, not be- merely because it provided me with an outlet, but because it opened me up. My emotional and spiritual pores, my senses were now keener. I possessed a new awareness of everything around me. I was seeing things as pro said with new eyes to write meant to choose a particular way to live, and I suspect that cancer had something to do with that. The pure fact of living seemed like a new branch of theology, Conroy said. However, when my health returned, my view changed on what I had written. I spent the past few months wrestling with my own arrogance. How could I be so presumptuous as to believe I had something to say, particularly about teaching? It was like speaking or writing about parenting or relationships, whereby the very act of expounding on such such subjects is proof that you don't know what the hell you're talking about. There's a certain priest that I know whose homilies always have a firm grip upon me when I show up. It's because he's so human, Father Carl never let himself become bigger than his message. He had an almost Lincoln-like ability to raise his lessons by lowering himself. And so it all comes down to humility. Now, this, of course, is one of the first times I've spoken of cancer without hiding behind a third person. That said, I am, again, putting my words in other people's mouths in this conversation as usual it's a slightly different point of view on the subject it's called a touch of dialogue and i hope it's a story worth listening to It's not like it's a secret around here, the young woman said out of the blue. What? Your health issues, she said almost matter-of-factly. You didn't know me, but you knew I was sick. He just stared down at the ants crawling across the bricks. After a moment, she got up to leave, and he stopped her. Stay, stay, please, he asked. She turned. Okay, I had my touch of cancer touch of cancer she has I heard Christopher Hitchens say that I find it much more amusing now hilarious was her response as she sat back down part of you wants no one to know he said after a minute part of you wants everybody to know you think it's all about fighting to get your health back but the illness it takes even more than that can rob you of your identity, your station. You're someone whose life now has an asterisk. Yeah, you're a survivor, she said, interrupting, and that beats the hell out of the alternative. <laughs> the man nodded. Got me there. But things seem so weird sometimes, awkward. Even how are you doing takes on a whole new meaning. He continued, making quotation marks in the air. It's no longer just a cheerful, hollow salutation, and I miss that. Everybody treats you in the context of your illness. Maybe it's all in your imagination, she replied. Maybe you're right. Maybe I've manufactured all this, but I do miss the normal, wherever it is. Well, stay healthy, and the normal will take care of itself, she said, smiling. The man just stared at the side of her face until she turned, beginning to feel better about this whole conversation. A friend and former student sent me a Flannery O'Connor book when she heard I was ailing. It helped me a lot. You ever read Flannery O'Connor, he asked. I remember her saying that sickness is a place more instructive than a long trip to Europe. And it's always a place where there's no company. The young woman reached over and squeezed the back of his hand. So mister, tell me about it. Hodgkin's lymphoma, stage two. Found it in my right lung. No more cigars, he muttered. Cuba's finally opening up and I have to quit cigars. Did you smoke? she asked, sounding surprised. I was a real pedestrian, he answered. <clears throat> it's hard work for me even to keep one lit but I've got a little lung damage, so I don't think it's a good idea. Not about sneaking one though, he said in a mischievous tone. Oh, don't get me wrong, I've been very fortunate, and to tell you the bare naked truth, the treatment was tolerable. I had some rough days. Maybe I've got some rough days ahead, who knows? But for the most part, I've been very lucky. My friends and family, and my doctors, they've been great. And I haven't had a lot of those why-me moments. What's that line? Suffering is redemptive? Unearned suffering is redemptive, she added. Dr. King said that. Oh, I'm Irish Catholic, he said, staring back down at the ants. We're not supposed to believe any suffering is unearned or undeserved. I don't buy that, she answered. Pope John Paul II wrote a lot about the mystery of suffering, he said, with reverence. He said it can cancel the just punishment of our misdeeds. It can provide humility and even bring about a transformation. I don't see you changing. But you seem to have read up on this quite a bit, she said. Oh, I have. The man went on to explain how bitter he was about his mother's suffering. I was unable to comprehend it. Maybe my experiences will give me a little clarity after all these years. I'm thinking that that's what Flannery O'Connor was talking about, clarity. Oh, you are so Catholic, she said. He smiled. Not a very good one, I'm afraid. Yeah, what's up with quoting Hitchens all the time? She asked, wasn't he an atheist? I'm a walking contradiction, and I replied, stroking his gray beard. You gotta read things you disagree with, or your brain gets soft. And after all is said and done, it makes me stand on my own hind legs. Hitchens' arguments can strip you clean of all that is false. So hope and faith are all that remain, Impossible grace, possible grace." After a moment, he turned to her and spoke again. My illness was not enslaving but liberating, because I slowly began to realize what was important. As the rose said, I started to discover or rediscover, I guess, all that was life and all that was not. What I found in my own wilderness was freedom, a freedom governed by conscience. I wasn't purified by sickness, so far from it. Shaking his head, the man said, what did Calvin say? Go, love God and sin boldly. She laughed, now that sounds more like you. Everything okay now? As far as I know, he answered stoically. That overused Nietzsche quote, what does not kill you makes you stronger? Well, it's no longer so quaint. It means something now. I finally realized I've been blessed. Oh, I have many blessings. I guess I should have said that, but among them is the fact that for a long time I have been exactly where I should be. I've never been cursed with the desire to be somewhere else, he said. Be where you're at, Michelle used to say. Michelle, she asked. She's the one who sent me the Flannery O'Connor book, he answered. You learn a lot from your students, she said. He nodded and smiled. It does seem like everybody wants to be somewhere else, the young woman said staring across the commons. It's like we're always afraid we're missing something. I know, he said. It drives some people crazy when I tell them that something doesn't have to be happening all the time. She nodded in agreement. I love those times when nothing is really going on. Sometimes it's right here on this green bench, old man. What's that John Lennon line? Something like time enjoyed wasting Time enjoyed wasting isn't wasted. Close to that. You know, he said, I thought about that when I was helping my son paint his house last weekend. There we were spending a beautiful day mired in the tedium of painting, but there was good music, cold beer, and good company. It was a good day. How did we end up talking about painting? she asked. all for now. Thanks for listening. Until next time this is Stories We Can Tell and I'm Jim McGinnis wishing you fair winds.